And then uh, Luke chapter 9, 1 Kings 19, and then Luke chapter 9. We're going to start the next two weeks, we're going to look at Elisha. So this summer, we've called it the Summer of the Prophets. And we're looking at the Old Testament prophets that foretold that not only what Jesus would do, how he would do it, but Jesus would fulfill all those things. And we've looked at this year of being a people that are focused on his word. So tell your neighbor, get focused. Even if you didn't go to bed till 1 a.m., be focused. So I want to look today just uh, briefly at um, Elisha. So there's Elijah and then there's Elisha. But Elisha is not necessarily praying or he's found with the other prophets praying and say, oh, God, whenever you're ready, I'm here. Here am I. Send me. We don't see that. He's out plowing the field. In fact, I was reading um, in the Bible. I saw something in this. And this scripture was powerful in my life, personally, going into ministry. And there was something here that I didn't see until this last week or so that I had read. So remember now, here's the guy you're following. You ready to hear the list of miracles? Okay, you're called next, and here's what you're following. He prayed for no dew or rain except at his word. He was sent to the brook where he was fed in the morning and evening by the ravens, meat and bread, and he had the brook. He was sent to the woman of Zarephath, and the first miracle was that she would not run out of oil or flour until the rain. And then he raised her son from the dead. Next. He calls down fire on Mount Carmel so that that whole sacrifice, in fact, I love what the New King James, it's licked up, gone, right, gone. He kills 450 prophets of Baal. He returns back and prays the dew and the rain come back. He's got super speed. You read that in the Bible? He outruns a chariot. When you, how many? Now, you know, I've done that before. You know, I used to be pretty quick back in the You know, these guys nowadays that we watch uh, that are so fast. No, life outran. And I'm thinking, he's wearing this funky clothes and a big leather belt and probably some sandals in that mantle and he's outrunning the chariot uh, angels brought him food and cooked him food two times now that happens at your house every morning right you just wake up and the angels of god have prepared a little breakfast for you no not at all the food that he eats gives him strength for 40 days we read that in the bible Two other times he calls down fire and 50 are killed each time. That's why we read a little bit about James and John, Jesus' disciples. And they, you know, they're telling, hey, can we call down fire too? No, so that's part of a miracle. And then he's taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire and horses with fire and he never dies. You're next. Could I wait? Could, could you put somebody else in and then I'll go after them? That's not how God looks at things. And so I want to pick this story up in 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want to read um, verse 14, just as I feel like Elijah would have said it with a whiny voice. Because he's done all of these miracles He's been hiding from Jezebel, and he has this kind of whiny voice. He's crying out to God, right? What's going to happen to me now? In fact, it's one of those things to find out. It seems to be he's depressed. 
And instead of looking up, God's going to have to jolt him to look up. Keep your head up. Don't think about all the things happening. And so let me read verse 14 with the whiny voice. He says, oh, Lord, I've been very zealous for you, the Lord God. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants. They tore down your awful altars. They killed the prophets with the sword. And I'm the only one left, God. You ever get whiny? Does anybody in your house ever get whiny? And you say, stop whining. Notice the Lord didn't respond to whiny Elijah. It's okay. Come here, honey. It's going to be okay. Notice the Lord doesn't respond. The Lord gives him a command. And here's what the Lord says in verse 15. The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazai as king over Syria. You shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nishmi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphath, of Abel, Methoah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Wait a minute here. I'm going to anoint a king over Israel. I'm going to anoint this guy over Syria. And all of a sudden God says, oh, and by the way, you're going to find Elisha and you're going to anoint him over your place. You hear what God's kind of saying? Your time is coming up. It's time to appoint a new prophet. So we read on in verse 17. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Well, we read on to get the actual picture and follow in the words of how Elisha calls, or Elijah calls Elisha now into the ministry of being a prophet. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Sapath, who was plowing with, here's what I had never read before, and I've read this over again, how many yoke of oxen? Twelve. I was always stuck on the two, because the two is the one that he's going to kill and burn and do everything. Twelve. We'll come back to that in a minute. Twelve yoke of oxen before him, for he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using what? The oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and served him. Let me read that last one again. Then he arose and he followed Elijah and served him. Lord, I pray that as we read these verses, as we also hear from Jesus, Lord, let it be said of us that when you speak and call, we arise, we follow, and we serve you. We bless you with your word today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. 
So again, here's the scene. Call Elisha, the prophet. He's the one that's going to take your place. Now, um, as we mentioned last week, the Bible gives us a little definition of Elijah. He said he was a hairy man that wore a leather belt. In fact, a little a description. He's probably a lot like we read of John the Baptist. He's probably a little unusual looking, but he's wearing a mantle. The mantle around his neck back in Bible times was probably made out of some fur of some animal. It's hot. This hairy guy's wearing a mantle, wearing leather belt, coming. You'd think you'd see him coming, but I don't know if we know if Elisha saw him. All we know is this. Elijah throws the mantle on Elisha, and Elisha knows exactly what that meant. It was to pass off the anointing that was on Elijah, and now it's on Elisha. But there's a problem. Elisha is not necessarily in a school of the prophets. He's not, we're not reading he's in some Bible college. He's a plowman. He's plowing the fields. And here's what I was reading. He's plowing what couple of oxen? The 12th. 12 times 2 is what? 24 oxen are plowing a field. And he's running the 12th one. So as I begin to look at that and dig into that, the 12th one was the guy that probably owned the entire field. And let me tell you, if you got 24 oxen plowing, you've got a big field. You've got an operation going on, and the guy in authority in the operation is the 12th man because he's put at the back. And the reason he's at the back, he's making sure everybody's doing straight rows. He's got to get a hold of anybody. He can make the corrections because he's all the way at the back because he's the guy in authority. He's the plowman. Now he goes from plowman to prophet. But one of the things that shows us the heart of Elisha, and I think God does this with us, there are already things that we are doing that God takes what we're doing and can, can prophetically enhance it and give us a picture just like this. He's breaking up the rough ground, probably day after day or during the time to plant whatever they're going to plant for a harvest. He's used to breaking up the tough ground. He's used to breaking up the hard, hard, hard ground because somebody prayed that there wouldn't be rain or dew, <laughs> right? It wouldn't have been so hard if the prophet didn't pray that. Why isn't he ended? In fact, book of James says it was three and a half years. Well, he's plowing the roughest grounds, but here's what God's going to do. God's going to take Elisha, the plowman, and he's going to have them, he's going to have him now plow the hearts of some of the toughest people, and that's the children of Israel. And they've been worshiping other gods, and Elijah's kind of jolted them to wake them up. But now he's going to plow these grounds. But here's what Elisha knew. He was immediately on the spot called by God. And there was a reaction that he needed to do. In fact, I crack up at the words that Elijah, Elijah says to him. It says in verse 21, Elisha turned back from him. Um, oh, back up just a minute here. He said, uh, let me see that. He took back, in fact, he said in verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. 
And here's Elijah's words. Go back again for what have I done to you? Boy, you would have thought Elijah would have said, well, then hurry up, right? You're the new guy. What have I done to you? Here's what Elisha does that we read in the scripture that we just read. Verse 21. He turns back from him and he took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and served him. He didn't destroy all 12 oxen, but here's what I get a picture of, and here's what I believe. I believe that he destroyed his own 12th one, that he broke down that equipment, that he killed those oxen, and that he burned them alive and gave them to the people to eat as an image of this. I am leaving everything I know to follow this man that just threw a mantle on me, and I'm going to go serve him. I'm leaving everything that I know to go follow. The word of God, notice what it does, calls him out right in the middle of his business and what he's supposed to do. But he's sensitive enough to that call to move. You know, we're going to read in a few weeks about Jonah. You know what Jonah does when God calls? Really? How exciting. No, what does he do? He runs, right? I'm going to buy a ticket, get on whatever ship I can get on, and I'm going to set sail, and I'm going to get away from God. Not Elisha. I get that imagery that he's going to take his livelihood. He's going to make sure the 12th one, I believe, is gone. And that it's a symbol that I'm going to follow this man. And I'm going, the Bible says, serve him. But here's what's interesting. We don't read anything that Elisha does or says for over four chapters. The only thing that we get a picture of it's in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11, and it records this about Elisha, that he's the guy that pours water on the hands of Elijah. Wait, wait, wait. Shouldn't it have been the guy that now can prophesy and call down fire and uh, stop the rain and do, and, and, and can, I, can I do the one where you run really fast and pass? You know what he's doing? Pouring water on the hands of Elijah. I mean, I just, I left all. I was a person of authority. But see, there's never a wasted experience when you follow the Lord. Even in this situation, if he's just pouring water on Elijah's hand, because there's a day coming, and here's what the Bible records. The Bible records that Elisha does more miracles than Elijah and anybody else in the Bible except Jesus. Think about that. The man that's pouring water on, that's all he's doing right now. He's following him around, pouring water on his hands. He will do more miracles than anybody listed in the Bible. Even over Elijah, other than Jesus. But he performs no miracles until Elijah is taken up on the chariot. But it reminds me of this when I was thinking of that. You know, have you ever noticed in your yard how fast weeds grow? Do you ever wish you could harness the strength of a weed to turn into the grass that you want? And it seems like you can spray them and you can pull them out and you can do whatever and they come back and they come back stronger. Only weeds grow fast. 
There's not an easy way in this Christian life just to say, I want to grow super fast. Yeah, weeds grow fast, but is that the type of grass you want? Absolutely not. You know, I remember as a kid, I always felt like when you're on the grass, yeah, those little thorns would get in your feet because the weeds would grow. No, part of this Christian believer walk is we're growing day by day by day because we rise up, we follow, we listen to what God says regardless of where we are because God is speaking. And Jesus, in fact, it's really the Lord, he's got weird math because we're used to, right, addition or subtraction or whatever order. He starts, he subtracts everything first. That's how he starts. And then he like jumps to multiplication to get the sum that he wants. It never bothers him to start with nothing. So when God looks down on Elisha, Elisha and Elisha is just like hand washing with Elijah, God is not discouraged in the least because there's a time coming. And listen to what Elisha's heart is when he asks Elijah for something. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 it says, and so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said this, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Before there was any miracle, before there was any prophetic word said, Elisha saw enough and probably had a sense enough about what he was called to do, that his heart prayer was, I want double of what you had. Now that sounds selfish, doesn't it? I, you know, I'm, I'm praying for double of what you got. Yeah. No, no, no. His heart be, is because he's got a task on his hand with the children of Israel whose hearts are hard. He's going to have to plow them. They don't have a great history in worshiping God. He's the next one. He's watched what Elijah's gone through. He's heard all the stories. But he says, I want a double portion of that. You know, and as we get close to concluding, we always go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Because everything we look at in the Old Testament, we know this. Jesus fulfilled it. But we're told in the New Testament to go back into the Old Testament to receive instruction. To look at everybody and to receive instruction, receive wisdom. Watch how things happen. Jesus, we're told this in Hebrews 12, we're to look to who? We're to look to Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Well, in Luke chapter 9 is a very familiar story that I wanted to quickly read, Luke chapter 9, because Jesus also is going to call people to follow him. See, he's not satisfied if you're just a believer. I've prayed Romans 10, 9 and 10. I've confessed Jesus is Lord, and I know the promise is I'm a believer, and my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. Well, he's not just satisfied with that. That's part of what he did. In fact, let's read this in uh, Luke chapter 9. In fact, let me get there in verse 57. Verse 57. It says this, Now it happened as they journeyed on a road 
that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's he wanting to let him know? Hey, I move around all over the place. Sometimes I don't have anywhere to sleep and I put my head down on a rock. (laughs) It might not be the most glamorous life as I'm going around. I'm going where God tells me to go and I just want you to know that. Another one, he said this to another. Jesus said to another, follow me. And he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus says these words. No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking, what? Back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what I always write in my Bible? I think in these situations, Jesus, I don't believe, would ever say if somebody's uh, a parent passed away, that he would say, oh, really? Well, let the dead bury the dead. That doesn't sound like Jesus. I think there were so many excuses. You know, we have good excuses, don't we? You know, the weather today, you know, I think it's supposed to be hot or it's supposed to rain or, you know, I I just don't, I don't have, have, we all have really good excuses that we think. But Jesus says these words. He says, no one having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why are we to stay focused? We have to stay focused on that plow. You know, when I first took both of our kids driving in the car for the first time, and you make sure your seatbelt's on extra tight and then that airbag's on, right? And you pray, dear Lord Jesus, cover this car. Let, you know, let angels be around every single corner because this is, right, the scariest thing of your life that they're, you know, they're driving. They're driving out there. And then you want to make sure that their phone's put away. They're not looking at a screen. You stay focused straight. What? Ahead, right? Ahead. Then we, I remember one of them, we heard sirens. And what do I do? What do I do? Pull over. And they just like, pull over. No, don't just pull over. You got to look. He said, don't look back. Well, yeah, you're going to get them. Right? You remember some of you the first time when they left with your car for the very first time? Oh. Thank God for apps that you can track them nowadays. I can keep an eye. Jesus says, put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Even if you're plowing hard ground where there hasn't been rain, don't look back. And I, I, I made a little list here. See, we use the term believer, right? I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Jesus likes to use this for us. You're my disciple. You're in a discipleship incubator here on earth. You're looking to me. You're following me. You're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're doing what I ask you to do because a believer does look to the cross, but a disciple picks up the cross daily. A believer obeys God if it's convenient, but a disciple obeys no matter the outcome. 
A believer might make a decision one time, but a disciple makes decisions every single day. A believer might focus on eternal life, but a disciple focuses on eternal rewards, being about the Father's business. And believers make heaven, but disciples make history for him. They make history for him. You see, Elijah arose, he followed, and he served. Jesus just didn't die so that I'm a believer. He died so that I would be his disciple. In fact, John chapter 15 and verse 16, he says these words. They're so powerful. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You didn't choose me, but you know what I did? I chose you. I love it. I appointed you. I set you apart. I called your name. It wasn't just a one-time thing that you would do to call me as Lord. You pick up the cross every single day. The Apostle Paul says, I crucify this flesh daily. Not the 15 of the month. Daily, right? I crucify this flesh. I'm focused on plowing for him. Can you imagine a guy plowing in the old days and taking his eyes off? In the directions and the route. You know, kids would do that, wouldn't they? I'm sure, I'm sure kids would do that and they'd get correct. No, no, no. Straight lines, straight lines, straight lines. We gotta have this whole field plow. That's what Jesus is saying. I need people straight lines. I need people focused. I need people when I call that they're they will arise. Right? They will follow what I have to do and they'll serve people that I'm after. That's Jesus' heart. That's what Elisha shows us. That even if for four chapters or a period of time he's just washing the hands of Elijah, he's in a preparation for doing double. But his heart started correct. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Lord, we come to you. We want to be believers, but we don't stop there. We are your disciples. Lord, I pray those two words echo in our spirits today. Follow me. When our feet hit the floor in the morning or evening, whenever we get up, that we hear those words in our spirit. Follow me we remember that you came to serve and so if we're about the father's business we're about serving people but let our prayer of faith be exactly like we saw with Elisha Elisha had a gift and a calling on his life and you would use him to do double of the work and Lord in these days that we're living we need all of us that are active that have a heart and are listening to you. Regardless of the hard plowing ground, our prayer is that you would take hearts that are hard and cause them to be hearts of flesh, fit for the master.
Lord, you just want us, you want to use us. And so, Lord, we take that step today to pick up the cross, to plow, and to not look back. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.